Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Katherine Shen. There have been a lot of things that have revolutionized how educators teach in the classrooms, but they weren't all immediately embraced. Things like Wikipedia, Google, remember when that came out, and even, get this, calculators have caused temporary panic in the education space. How will students learn to do research in a world where everything is on Wikipedia? Why bother learning math when we have calculators or when we can just Google everything? And now that ChatGPT and other artificial intelligence tools are becoming a bigger part of our everyday lives, some educators are scrambling to rethink their curriculum. And today, we'll get an update on how artificial intelligence is impacting education and what teachers are doing about it. Joining us now is Jeff Young. He's the editor of EdSurge, which is an education journalism initiative. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thanks. And for our listeners, we want to hear from you too. What have you used ChatGPT for? 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Jeff, one of these days you're going to come on and not talk about ChatGPT, but today is not the day. Uh, The last time we talked to you, (laughs) this was kind of just getting started and teachers are feeling the pressure of ChatGPT. So where are we at now that another semester has started? Yeah, um, we you, people are still talking about this, especially in education. The the rise of of AI um, chatbots and ChatGPT was was one. Now there are actually a couple others out there that that do a similar function. And so the I say that a lot of educators spent the summer, a little bit of their summer break, um, reading up or going to professional development around what are these tools, how might students use them. Um, and you know a concern about possible cheating and so but compared to you know i think there have been a lot of of attempts over the summer to think like okay if this is out there what does that mean for me how do i have to change something about teaching and you recently wrote about just that you know about how teachers were somewhat scrambling over the summer to rewrite assignments uh, basically in the wake of ChatGPT. so what does that look like? And I'm also, I'm going to make the assumption that it looks very different across uh, disciplines and departments, subjects. Yes. And as I said, there was a lot of energy. Um, it was very energizing for, I think, a lot of educators of like, okay, I have to have to do something. Some One educator called it um, the home, excuse me, one the homework apocalypse of this fall if something didn't change. Um, so the concern being, if you didn't do anything different, students might you know, just use a chatbot to turn in um, work that seemed like it was human written, but was actually just cut and pasted from this chatbot when you put the question in. And so the que- then the, the question is, okay, well, if if having a simple homework prompt of write this, you know, respond to this, like summarize the, the, the main points of a book, say, or, you know, give me, um, you know, compare and contrast this point to and this, and the, and the chatbot can do it. 
then the question is, well, okay, how do you make an assignment that might, um, you know, not be so, you know, bot cheatable? And and the question then is, well, how do you think through how to make them more, say, authentic or to, you know, ask the student to go beyond just a simple um, compare and contrast or summary and, you know, thinking through like, well, how could you make it linked to something in the student's own life or, um, or other methods to try to think through how to make the assignment feel more than just, um, you know, the simplistic um, summary. And I mean, this seems like so much more work on top of what teachers already have to do. And I feel like every season we have some kind of apocalypse. So I guess we're in the homework one at this moment. Um, what are what are things that you're hearing from teachers? You know, like, are they having to really rethink? Um, like you mentioned, they are energized to do the rethinking. But when it's reality, how has that been like? Yeah, I think in, there's different approaches that people are taking. In some, I'm hearing that um, that the educator, either at the K-12 or you know, at a high school or college level, are are actually sometimes engaging with their students and saying, "Look, we all know this is out there. Here's my intention. So here's the suggestion of like, um, let's work this through this together and be on the same page." And so. In that way, I'm hearing that like one way to make a little less work for the educator is to actually try to enlist the support of the students and basically being honest with them about like, we're going to try this and if it doesn't work, you know, or, you know, but I think there is a certain amount of labor involved with thinking through, even if the the change to the assignment is, okay, have the, the chatbot um, draft the first paragraph and then send me that paragraph and then your critique of that paragraph, say, as the student. Um, so that the student is showing their humanness and their what they've learned um, in the mix. Um, and in some cases, it is a more, we're seeing prof professors and, and educators think through, maybe I should do a project-based thing instead. And that that would that would take a lot more work. So it it does, I'm sure, depend on how much time some some teachers have had to to really to do that change. Right. And I can imagine if there are certain classes that are being more impacted by AI tools than others, because we've been talking about, you know, writing essays and, and whatnots, but I'm also assuming that certain classes, they don't really have that. So are there certain classes that are more impacted by AI than others? Yeah, we're certainly um, hearing that just like there are probably going to be more industries in the in the world that are impacted by ChatGPT than others. Um, you know, like in, if you think about that, like it's it's you hear a lot about it being used, ChatGPT and other AI bots in marketing or, you know, uh, in sort of some professional kind of white collar um, kind of areas where synthesis and, and comparison is a big part of it. Therefore, you know, things like writing classes um, or similar kinds of tasks done in any class. Um, if you have a humanities class where there's a lot of essays, that is going to be more impacted than, you know, like a hard science class, for instance. But um, programming, computer coding, which of course these days a lot of colleges and, and schools um, offer, is also very impacted just as the computing industry is seeing a lot of tools out there that can write the basic code. Um, and so if, if that's a possible for the professional, it's possible for a student to use the tool and turn it in as their own work. And I think especially when we first started to talk about ChatGPT, one of the one of the initial reactions is concern about plagiarism. So how are academic integrity departments preparing to respond to this? You know, have you heard 
of any you know new ideas of how to deal with AI. Yeah, it's it's interesting because in some ways, you know, at first there were a lot of you know concerns to the level of like banning the tool completely, and we saw in the early after the release of of ChatGPT, pretty soon after the New York Public Schools like announced that they would block it, but they've actually done an about face. Um, since we last talked, and they now have sort of said, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna block it. In fact, we'll we'll have options for for educators to use it um, if they think it's appropriate. So I think there has been at college and, and schools a lot of let the teacher decide because it is out there in the world. Um, and so you see places like Harvard University have sample languages from their teaching center where here's, you know. Um, what you could say on your syllabus if you want to say you're not going to embrace it at all um you know here here's a, a way to write the policy so that you're saying to your students i am not gonna you know i do not want you to use chat gpt if i sense that you're using it you're in trouble or language on your syllabus that says it i am fine with this being in the world like if you use it these are the guidelines um to so that you stay within academic integrity either way so it's it, i've seen a lot of that um, and then the other big question that I think a lot of educators and, and schools and colleges are wrestling with are what to do about chatbot detectors that are now available. Um, should those be used or not? Um, and that's been a bit of a controversy as well. And and I think another interesting thing is this is such a gray area, but I know it's being debated is does AI count as plagiarism? I I think that's an interesting one, right? Because you know, you you have in the old school, you know, when plagiarism used to be, you know, taking somebody else's work, usually off the internet and pasting that in. But there was somebody who wrote that piece of writing. Um, and so it was also easy for the instructor to say as proof, like, I see that, you know, you lifted this um, paragraph exactly from you know, another student's essay or something they, that's on the internet. So there was no question that that no work was done, no human thinking was done by the student who turned in, you know, that copy. Now with ChatGPT, many times, you know, the the student might have entered a prompt to the chatbot. It's, you know, like if the prompt was, you know, give me what are the three symbols found in the Great Gatsby or something. And then the chatbot spits out something, but it might be clunky. And then if the student revises it themselves or adds to it, or then even says like, okay, I see there, you gave me five or three, but what about if I, what about if, <clears throat> what symbols then also represent this other idea? And the student by even asking the chatbot is, is kind of, you know, being a little bit creative in partnership with the chatbot. So is that the student's work? Is it who even owns that, you know, copyright, who created that um, idea, if it ends up being very quickly, really a collaboration between the the computer and the and the human. And so I think with this conversation too, there's so much focus on you know stopping students from either you know if you want them to stop using ChatGPT, that's part of your thing, or stopping them from plagiarizing or cheating. And I'm wondering if this actually speaks to a, a deeper systemic problem regarding sort of overload of homework and also about student disengagement. Do you think that's related? 
Well, we have been reporting on that at EdSurge a lot these days and have done a couple episodes of our podcast about it. It's students, you know, we're hearing, especially at the college level and definitely hearing it a little bit at K-12 as well, is since the pandemic, the, all that time spent on remote learning or, you know, not having, you know, being on a Zoom class, but not even being required to have your camera on and just developing some habits that were pretty disengaged, I think has exacerbated something that students have, of course, like, even probably when we were students, there were moments where you're like, do we really have to know this? Why do I have to learn this? So there's always been a little bit of that, like, you know, convinced me that this is important. But I feel like there, the times that we've all been through um, in these last few years have, have created a real uh, challenge for educators, even before ChatGPT came on the scene. And so this, in a way, you know, has not come at a great time for educators when if students were already in their mind thinking, as I've heard some students I've talked to, you know, tell me, they're like, oh, if it's a teacher I really respect, I'm going to never use ChatGPT. I'm, I'm going I'm to sit there and do the assignment. But if it's busy work or, you know, if they, if they perceive it as just like, I, this teacher doesn't really care and they're just making me do something, well, then I will then use the chatbot to do that something because why not in their mind? Now, of course, you know, sometimes students don't always know what it is that would actually help them learn. So it, it, it complicates, it, it is, it gets complicated in that whether students are, are making choices that actually help them, but it does raise these questions of student attitudes toward homework. And, and it really gives a challenge, I think, to educators. It, it extends that challenge of like convincing the students that what is happening in the classroom and in homework is, is something that the, they, that students should care about and really, you know, be human and show up for. Right. Right. And if someone out there can make sure that the next apocalypse comes at a at a better time, that would be great. I think we will all benefit <laughs> from a time apocalypse. <laughs> so we can add it to our right. to our planner that ChatGPT can help us plan to face the next apocalypse. So that would be <laughs> extremely helpful. Um, and so there there was also an education conference that that happened recently that's related to AI. Can you talk about what happened there? Yeah, this is something, and I've been reporting on education for a long time, and I've never seen this before, but um, some college students organized a conference online, like a professional development, two-day weekend conference, and um, it was some students um, at Stanford and a couple of universities in Illinois who um, basically went out, these were largely grad students, but some were like fresh out of undergrad, and they organized a conference called... Um, AI X education, and it was designed for teachers. So they're students offering professional development for teachers, college professors and, and, and higher and like high school teachers to say, we want, we, they were seeing all these bands of chat GPT and detectors that were just going to, you know, root out supposedly the use of it. And they were saying, no, we, we are going to enter the world of work where there will be AI. So we want you teachers to at least know what it is. So um, they organized this conference. They got some um, really high profile guests um, to, to come and speak and give keynotes, including somebody from Khan Academy, which has experimented with AI and with um, a professor from Harvard, who's a really noted scholar on you know, technology and education. And they had them come on and you know give these um, sessions for teachers about like, this is what AI is. We encourage you to try it. If you, you know, want to block it after that, that's fine. But like, you should at least know what this is. So, and the students moderated every session. So it was this 
it was a little bit of a, uh, a opposite day where instead of the experts you know organizing it and having maybe an occasional student chat talk it was like the students organizing it and saying like listen y'all need to get it together <laughs> yeah i think we all need to get it together um and i mean that that seems really cool actually that that is the collaboration happened because of chat gpt like who would have known and w- in our next segment we're we're definitely going to be hearing from educators that are using chat gpt as a tool so I mean, you kind of said it already with the conference, but are you starting to see it being used in the classroom to help students in the learning process? Yeah, you definitely are are hearing a lot of examples, and I'm always excited to hear more. Um, I'm sure your guests will share some because the, you know, there are ways in which people are experimenting with it. You know, one, um, one educator I talked with at the college level, he was having students turn in, um, you know, audio versions of an answer to a question hoping that you know that would um you know they could hope it would be harder to have the chat gpt do it or if maybe a little bit easier for this to to detect if they are saying it out loud and he was saying that that was a you know um a way for people to get excited about it and it was interesting and new for for him to like have people um be a little more casual but like express their ideas um so that was something he was doing um, you're also, um, as I think I said earlier, like this idea of using it to help um, with a rough draft and actually kind of accelerating the amount of work that can get done. Um, I heard some writing teachers really talk about that of like, well, maybe in the original, like everybody, it's hard to have a blank page in front of you, I think for anyone and even people who do it for a living to write. And so if the chatbot can help with the first draft and then the um the honing and the refining of the text and thinking through, well, this is nonsense, but why is it nonsense that the chat GPT put out? So then you're really pushing, it's pushing the human to like write a better a first draft. And then then the then the more drafting can be done than would typically get done. It like spark, you know, like could jumpstart the the creative process in this, you know, at, at least in some, there's that's the hope of some of some teachers. Well, I think a lot of writers out there are now trembling at this idea of a blank page. So thanks for instilling that fear in us on this day, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> You've been listening to <laughs> Jeff Young, who's the editor of EdSearch, which is an education journalism associ- uh, initiative. And he's also the host of the EdSearch podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeff. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And coming up, we're going to be hearing from three Connecticut educators who will be joining us. And we want to hear from you, too. If you use ChatGPT, let us know what you thought about it. Give us a call, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. 
The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Good morning, dear listeners, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Where We Live. I'm your host, Catherine Shen, and today we're delving into a topic that's been buzzing through the halls of academia, the tech industry, and beyond. That's right. We're talking about the dynamic and ever-evolving relationship between artificial intelligence, education, and the age-old issue of plagiarism. And a quick note to our listeners, ChatGPT actually wrote that introduction. Did it sound like something we'd say, or did you feel like something was off? Joining us now are three educators working to tackle and work with AI in the classrooms. Tom Deans is a professor of English and director of the University Writing Center at the University of Connecticut. Erica Strong is a literacy coach at Lebanon Middle School. And John Allen is a social studies teacher at Putnam High School. Thank you all of you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thank Thank you for having us. And for our callers, you can give us a call, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Erica, I want to start with you. You were an English teacher before becoming a literacy coach, so we'd love to know, what was your reaction when ChatGPT really started to become a part of the conversation, and what did you think about my introduction? I thought the introduction was very well written, so good (laughs) job. Um, Yeah, I mean, right away, you know, it was presented to you know, the staff I have um, uh, at a faculty meeting. And it was really scary to think that, how are we going to be able to detect this, you know, um, and what are we going to do? And I know a lot of us were very concerned about, do we have our students handwrite everything? Um, Or, you know, are we going to have to turn off the Wi-Fi when they're taking, you know, a test or writing an essay? Um, And so the initial reaction was pretty negative, I would say. And a couple months has happened or, you know, We've gone into this a little bit more as the year have gone by and we have a new semester just now. You know, so have your conversations with other education educators changed or were they kind of the same or what are you sort of hearing right now? So, you know, I think the trend and what a lot of educators are trying to do is really, you know, honestly assume that every kid is using this or if they aren't using it, they know about it. Um, You know, so I think it's important that we're all and a lot of us have talked about, you know, on the same page that, you know, we need to show the kids we're using it and we need to embrace that it's a part of our you know, society. It's it's another norm. Um, So how can we use it to raise the level of what we're teaching and to really improve our practices? Um, You know, it's great that, you know, we are required, you know, to write a lesson plan that's pretty tedious, but why not use something like this to help us with those menial tasks so that then, you know, we can do what we're we're there for to, to deliver the instruction. So with our kids, you know, it's, we can have them write a summary or we see a summary on chat BT, GPT, and then go ahead and raise the level of, you know, their thinking skills and, you know, think more critically. And so, you know, it's, it's I think, shifting the, the viewpoint of it being, you know, the end all be all plagiarism to how can we use it to make our kids think more deeply and more critically. 
And Tom, with what Erica just said about how this is really becoming the norm, you've been thinking about AI for a while, so you weren't as surprised when ChatGPT was first released. So what was your reaction when it came out? Well, I, I think in general, uh, the trajectory Eric, Erica mentioned among faculty at a place like UConn um, was, was pretty similar when ChatGPT, ChatGPT came out. Um, what are we going to do? How is this going to really disrupt in a bad way what we're what we're up to as a university? And now we are at a place I think where most faculty are thinking in that same spirit of okay, let's how do we work with this tool? But you're right, I, I got a little bit of a head start on this because I was kind of recruited into it by a colleague in engineering who came into the use of of these large language models like ChatGPT before ChatGPT came out when we just called it GPT two and then three and now 3.5 and 4. And he used it um, thinking about students who are neurodiverse and, and had written a grant to the National Science Foundation saying, how might we use this tool and other tools to support more neurodiverse graduate students even in the STEM disciplines? And so that was Arash Zaghi. He introduced me to see thinking about this in ways that I hadn't. And that's continued to be a kind of theme, which is that um, how, how might this play differently to the strengths of of different students. And along those lines, you've also been offering seminars and workshops so professors can better understand how ChatGPT works. So can you talk about some of those conversations that you're having with your colleagues, you know, at the college level about ChatGPT? Right. So some of my work in the writing center is not just working with students, but it's working with faculty across the university who may be teaching biology, who may be teaching public policy, who may be teaching all kinds of things. And so we've been thinking in some of the directions you talked about with Jeff, which is how might you redesign your assignments to be more contextual, to be in some ways might that might be more personal, but that might be just more contextual to your course or to the lectures you've been giving. And those kinds of rethinking of the assignments, I think, have been pretty exciting and reinvigorating. Uh, don't give the same old assignment that you've perhaps been sort of recycling for, for quite a number of years in this new environment, that might be something that you would rethink. But it's not a matter of just doing that evasively. It's usually getting back to what makes a good assignment, something that's really relevant, that the students are motivated to do. As Jeff also said, when students are more motivated intrinsically to learn what's in front of them, they're less likely to turn to tools to do things they're thinking for them or they're writing for them. So we've also mentioned about teachers feeling a sense of fear in sort of the high school, middle school, elementary school level. Is there a lot of trepidation among professors about it at the college level, Tom? I don't know if trepidation is exactly, certainly some. <laughs> My colleagues in the English department, for example, I think there's the full range. I've got one colleague who's been teaching a course called Writing with Algorithms for years now. So he's clearly comfortable with this because he's been teaching in this direction for, for a long time, thinking about how People have been writing with algorithms since the 1960s with different kinds of computer software to even make things like literature. Um, and then there are some faculty who really, really are uh, have, don't have experience with, enough with, with this so that we fear what we don't really understand. So when I go to talk to faculty, the first thing I usually say in a room, and I just did this the other day, was how many of you have actually either fooled around with ChatGP or use it regularly? And what I'm finding is pretty consistently, it's about 10% of the faculty who will say, that's something I've actually used several times. Most of them will have said, I tried it once or twice when the hype came out and I haven't touched it again. And so 
my sense is that the more that faculty actually use it. So my, my first impulse then is to say, you guys got to work with it here. I wasn't that comfortable using this the first couple of times. I just stuck with it and played with it and tried my own assignments in it and saw what came out and talked to students about it. And, and that's what I'm encouraging faculty to do is, is get rid of that trepidation or at least grapple with it by understanding the technology yourself a little bit, even if you're uncomfortable with that. And so as as teachers are grappling with this sort of new idea, you know, for a lot of them, it's a new tool. So how do you think this could actually be used in the classroom? Well, Jeff mentioned one of the ways, which is that most of us struggle with writer's block. And so isn't it nice to have a uh, something to work with rather than staring at the blank page? So that's one of the typical ways. Um, and even when we're using it for that, I'm trying to give people strategies, which is that I almost I think the impression is that students are just going to plug in the prompt, get a response, toss that in. And in fact, uh, students can use this, say, at any point of the writing or thinking process, whether they're stuck at the beginning to get something that it's going to produce, which probably isn't going to be all that great if it's a good assignment um, and that you may then radically revise in the way that Jeff talked about. Um, you may use it at the back end of the writing process. For example, if you struggle with editing, um, especially if you're writing outside your, your the language you're most comfortable in. So I'm talking to international students who are finding this as a really helpful tool at the final stages of the writing process. Even in the middle of the writing process, I'm working with my writing tutors. Often we're introducing ChatGPT for students when they say, gosh, I've written half of this and I'm I'm struggling with what to do with how to create a good title for this. And you plug it in and say, come up with three titles. And then you talk about which of those three might be better. And so what you've done is use the tool as part of an ongoing conversation. And it's rarely a one-shot deal of just produce something and hand it in. It's usually a back and forth um, at any stage of, of the, the, the writing process. Well, and with you just saying, too, that it's not just a one-shot thing or it's very rarely a one-shot thing, it, it's the lot, It's actually a lot of work using ChatGPT as a way to sort of guide you in your assignments, it sounds like, especially in writing. So yeah. can you talk about like whether or not, is it blurring the lines of plagiarism if you do ask ChatGPT to say, you know, you wrote an essay, but you're having a hard time with the last paragraph and you ask it to finish a paragraph for you and you don't do any edits? So in that case, is that a gray area? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think blurry lines are, are part of our business in our education in middle school and high school and all throughout education and helping our students negotiate that and admitting that it's a blurry line that we need to think through. So and I, I tell folks that writers have struggled with this sort of throughout history. So if you open any book, you usually see an acknowledgments page where someone is saying, I want to thank my editors and I want to thank my mentors and I want to thank these folks who helped me out with technical assistance and so in my classes and what I'm encouraging other faculty to do is find new ways to acknowledge the tools and the people that you use. And that might not be a traditional citation. It might be an acknowledgement statement or a process statement. So I've implemented that in my own classes where I say to my students, you can use ChatGPT and its other kinds of AI for most assignments. And I'll tell you when you can't. But when you do use them, we're here in the business of of being open and honest and transparent. And so let me teach you how to acknowledge that. Um, and, and then you're responsible for that. And so I think we need to do some on the front end of helping students say, yep, there, there are definitely gray lines here. And even professional associations haven't figured out exactly how we should cite this because it's not like a traditional source. 
And we've been focusing a lot about the academic space and how it can play a role in it. But Eric had also mentioned earlier that you can use it as a tool to sort of help organize your curriculum or your syllabus. So can mm-hmm. you talk about how it can be used for organization or productivity? I know a lot of us could use a little bit more help there. Yeah. I was talking to a graduate student the other day and he said he struggles just with uh, all, all the demands of graduate school. And yeah, it usually involves big writing projects. And he said what, what he does is uh, sometimes plug in to ChatGPT saying, I've got this seminar paper due in, in five weeks, and I know I've got these other constraints on my work life and others, come up with a writing plan. Uh, and ChatGPT will lay out a lay out a writing plan. Uh, and it might not be the perfect plan for you. You might need to adjust it, but it will, it will, it'll, it will do some of the things you could do in an analog way, which is just mapping things out in your planner. But if someone does that quickly in three seconds for you, and then you can edit it, you're more likely to probably actually create that writing plan. So so it doesn't always have to be generating text, even though that's the way we, we normally think of it. It could be generating plans or it could be generating um, a, a, a schedule for, for you to do things or a, or a financial plan for you to get back on your feet if you're struggling with debt or something like that. Some of these things that we often rely on coaching or other kinds of um, resources for ChatGPT and other AI tools can give us a kind of first draft of that and a kind of on-demand version of that. And Erica, I would love to have you respond to what we've heard from Jeff. Obviously, we've covered a lot of ground, but you've been tasked with sort of thinking of different ways that teachers can use ChatGPT as a tool. So what does that work look like? And what is it? what does what using this tool in the middle school space look like? You know, kind of like it, it's been said, but, you know, our, our students know technology better than we do. You know, we, we've been around for longer, but these kids can do so much. So I think really teachers can use it to be more engaging. I mean, if a student has not seen chat GPT yet, like I would love to just show them and see their eyes and see how, you know, just amazed they'll be. Um, And so, you know, I I think that teachers can really use it to their advantage of showing, like, I'm going to show you how to do this. Um, I'm going to show you how to write a summary. And, you know, then you can compare those two and and evaluate the claims that one is making or what evidence could support this. So I would think, you know, at a middle school level, you have that piece as well as, you know, I know we we talk a lot about the writing, but, you know, I have a, a wonderful colleague who talked about, you know, his daughter working in, you know, you know, higher level courses in math and that this can serve as a personal tutor you know, for those those classes that maybe they're struggling with at, at home at eight o'clock at night where a teacher is not accessible. So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we can tell our students about to use as well as for ourselves when we have, you know, things that we need, you know, to do um, for our classroom or for our practices. Uh, you know, I when I say that too, you know, we have students right now who have learning loss to the point where a teacher is responsible for teaching students at a first, fourth, and seventh grade reading level. And within seconds, you can take an article or a text, put it in chat GPT and say, put this, write this at a fifth grade level, and it will do that. Um, so I think, again, it's just, you know, realizing the tools that it, it can help us with um, so that we can then do our job and spend more time differentiating and working with students because like like we've said you know that that apocalypse that we've dealt with you know we're still recovering from so what can we use this for so we can do the hard work that we're you know trained to and john i want to bring into this conversation you teach civics at putnam high school so 
what does using this as a tool in a civics class look like, and does it help with the learning process? Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, just to clarify, I'm in the experimentation phase with ChatGPT. Um, we, in my department this week, we actually, like during our meeting, we played around with some other uh, AI tools like Magic School. Mm-hmm. And similar to what Erica said, one of the things that I definitely am going to be using this year when I, I discovered this was that you can differentiate articles. And for me, I'm going to be using a lot of current events in civics. And so that's all new information coming out. And so to have that tool that I can put stuff through, I think will be super, super helpful for me. And so um, one, oh, sorry. Go for it. no, go for it. One thing that I want to say too that I don't know has really been said yet, um, and this goes back to what was said earlier, so I apologize, but when it comes to like the fear of this, um, at first, I'll admit, I was more of a Luddite. I was afraid of of this idea because it just seems like it's very, very easy to plagiarize. Um, I kind of feel like good teachers really know their students. So you have like a, if you have an understanding of how your students write and you've given them so many writing opportunities throughout the year, which, you know, in social studies and in English, I think that happens, you know, every day. Uh, you can tell when the words are not their own and you can easily kind of figure that out. Um, I really I really feel like this whole topic comes down to can you intrinsically motivate students to do their best work that's authentic to them? And if they're using tools, that's great. Um, but you do like I, I do feel like good educators will have that part of it where they're going to you know inspire their students to do their best work. That's that is their work. And I know you're in the experimental phase, but I still want to ask, you know, as a civics teacher, have you adjusted your curriculum so the material stays up to date and your assignments are a bit more ChatGPT proof? I mean, you did mention that you use current events. I'm assuming that it's very up to date. Yes. Um, Depending on where we are in the school year, absolutely. My my class for civics changes every single year. Um, So I'm sure as the primaries start to happen, we're definitely going to be talking a lot about that and Hopefully, as things happen, like when that season starts up every day, there's something new. So I, I hope that my assignments are going to reflect that. Last year, I was um, I was thinking about this the other day. Towards the end of the school year, we did something on the debt ceiling, and it was very, very current. So it, I think some of the current events are a lot harder for ChatGPT to use. Um, doesn't mean that you can't use it for idea creation and that kind of thing. But yeah, I definitely ref- I try to reflect whatever is happening. We're hearing from our panel of of educators, Tom Deans, who's a professor of English at UConn, Erica Strong is a literacy coach at Lebanon Middle School, and John Allen is a social studies teacher at Putnam High School. They'll be staying with us about using AI in the classrooms, and we want to hear from you too, especially if you're a student or a teacher. Let us know if you've used ChatGPT and tell us about your experience at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. In an era defined by rapid technological advances, AI has seamlessly integrated into our daily lives, revolutionizing various sectors, including education. And once again, listeners, ChatGPT wrote that last sentence. Could you tell? 
Instead with us to talk about how ChatGPT is changing what's happening in the classrooms is Tom Deans. He's a professor of English and director of the University of or the director of the University Writing Center at UConn. Erica Strong is a literacy coach at Lebanon Middle School and John Allen is a social studies teacher at Putnam High School. So Erica, I want to ask if is talking to students about plagiarism enough to deter them from using ChatGPT? And I know you kind of talked about this earlier, but how many students do you think are using it? So, you know, I, I think it's it's similar to, you know, when we teach about, for example, drugs and alcohol, right? I mean, we could choose not to talk about it, but it's still going to be something that they're seeing in the real world. So I think, yeah, it's very valuable to talk about plagiarism so they understand what it is, what can happen. Um, you know, I remember always, you know, talking about the plagiarism police and how, you know, you can't do this, can't do that. You could fail the course and kind of putting fear into students. Um, and, and it's so important that they're giving their own ideas and in their own way. But, you know, the students that are using it are using it. And so I think in any policy, any plagiarism policy that a school has, it, you know, should, again, promote that we want to hear the authentic voice of a student um, and maybe, you know, saying that there is a safe use for chat, chat GPT in the policy. So I think just communicating that with our kids is important. Because again, like they're they're using it whether we like it or not. You know, I, I ask students if they're using it and they maybe have heard of it, but I would again assume they all are because it is out there. And, you know, as I said, they know the tools and they know the tricks much quicker than we do. That's for sure. And John, when you do see plagiarism in your classroom with your students, you know, what happens? What do these conversations look like? Um, yeah, so I will always do like my own investigation of it. Um, we've ru we've run it through like detectors, but the the problem with ChatGPT is it's very hard to detect um, as we're finding. Uh, but typically, what I'll do is I'll bring up the student and I'll ask them about a specific part of whatever it was that I suspect is plagiarized. And you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. We're not perfect with that. Um, I will say. It, I'll first like ask that I'll bring up the selection. If it's something that is easily found online, you like back in the day, you could just like Google a line and it would bring it up. Uh, that's it's much harder now. Um, but I could be like, this is exactly what I found online. Did you write this? And most of the time they would say no, and they would just fess up to it. Uh, typically though, like it's like I said earlier, we, we are able to detect it pretty easily. And students, once you kind of tell them, you know, they usually fess up immediately. I once had a student tell me that Marie Antoinette uh, assassinated Franz Ferdinand, um, so I I was laughing at just some of the some of the examples that I that I've seen in the past. Well, that sounds like a novel waiting to be written. So someone yeah, get on uh, it. Or... I, I love the creativity, and I asked them how they knew who Marie Antoinette is, and they said they found her name online. So, <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> That's amazing, and and I mean we've been talking about using AI as a tool as well, and you know as teachers and and educators are grappling with how to use it. You know, do you worry about kids not getting the proper writing skills before they get to college? Yes, I do. And I, uh, I again, I said this earlier, but I, I feel one of our jobs, I, you know, I, I love education and I, I feel that I'm very good at this, but you have to like convince the students to care. And that's, that has to happen before they're, I think they're going to really want to do this if they have such an easy option of, of using one of these um, AI like services. It's, if if you can't get that buy-in to say like no your voice is more important um i i do worry that they're, they're going to take the easy way out and then get themselves caught and who knows if they're going to get in trouble in college for it 
And this is a question I would like to ask all three of you. We'll start with you first, John. And I, we, t- we touched on this a little bit, but are all teachers looking at changing the type of assignments they're giving? Like instead of doing essays, asking students to do oral assignments or video essays or presentations, you know, is that something that you anticipate happening, John? I, I do anticipate it happening. I will say at Putnam High School, I work with some amazing educators and we we do really try to vary our projects and that kind of thing anyways, just to keep engagement up. But I do think as this goes further, I can already tell from the early meetings this year that we are going to start to rethink maybe how we're looking at some projects with this in mind. And Erica, you know, as an English teacher and literacy coach, you know, are you looking to change the type of assignments that you would normally give? I mean, we're always trying to refine our practices, you know, here in Lebanon, we've, you know, had a lot of success at kind of shifting from teaching content to more of concepts. You know, a kid could know all about the book, The Outsiders, but it's what they can do with that and transfer the skills. So to me, I think that, you know, if chat GPT can do an assignment, we need to be looking at the assignment. You know, we, we can't anymore be asking kids to just summarize or to identify something. You know, it's a very low level you know, skill, we should really, you know, have them get that essay online and then evaluate it or compare it to another text. So yes, I think we need to be looking at our assignments all of the time. But by doing that, we're adding more rigor to get the kids to be doing way more thinking and way more work that's going to make them, you know, more successful in the 21st century. And Tom, does this look different in the college level? You as an English professor, are you looking to also change the way you assign your students? Well, I, some, some, in some ways we've already talked about, I, I've, I've talked to faculty and changed some of my assignments, but I think we're also overlooking the process by which people get to a, a final submission. And, and in this case, ChatGPT reminds us of some teaching practices that we've been talking about for 50 years in writing, which is you shouldn't ever be seeing a student's writing for the first time at when they're handing it in. Mm. You should be seeing that in early drafts and maybe a proposal. So when I, in my classes and in all our, say, what we call W classes, writing intensive classes at UConn, we never see just a paper at the end of the semester. So if you've seen that work, students work in a proposal and you've talked about that in class and maybe you've met with them in your office and you've seen an early draft, A, the students are less motivated to create something <laughs> afresh because they're already invested and they've made some progress on their own. And that's important, too, to think about. These are fairly low-tech kind of interventions that are just good teaching practices to see writing early and often to discuss it. I've done things like have a oral exam, like, you know, students come to my office and they, instead of having a sit-down written one, I've been doing this for years where they, in a small group, come and talk through the readings that we've been doing. That's an AI-proof assignment or, or test, but it's also just a good practice to get to know my students and to really know that they understand and can respond to my questions on the fly after they've done some real uh, deep reading of, of the and, and studying like they would for a traditional exam. So some of the responses, um, as John has suggested, are getting students intrinsically motivated and some of the pedagogical interventions don't always have to be changing the assignment. That can be really important. But the process is just as important that leads up to drafts and then the the, the final version. We've got about two minutes left, but I do have a final question for you, Tom. You talked a little bit earlier about how ChatGPT can also help support neurodiverse students. Can you talk about what that looks like and how it's actually helping this population of students? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of UConn students and, and 
a lot of them are not using ChatGPT at all. Uh, but the uptake among the neurodiverse students is greater. Uh, and and, and uh, this, the, the, the multiple ways that ChatGPT can be used, whether it's early or late in the writing process, or whether it's just helping you do studying. Like, for example, you if you've a tough time figuring out how to study for an exam, you can just put all your lecture notes in that ChatGPT and say, come up with 20 good study questions. And and if that's what your issue is as a neurodiverse student, having a hard time processing lectures and preparing for exams, it can help you in that way. If you're, if you say perhaps have ADHD or dyslexia and you have a really hard time producing that first draft, but you're much better at revising it once it's there, you can use it in the ways that Jeff talked about in the opening about dealing with that first draft syndrome. So the, the pliability of how students can use this tool is, is helpful for for, for students customizing it to how they learn. You've been listening to Tom Deans, who's a professor of English and director of the University Writing Center at UConn. Erica Strong is a literacy coach at Lebanon Middle School. And John Allen is a social studies teacher at Putnam High School. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning and helping us uh, learn more about ChatGPT. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thank you. And something super exciting for our listeners next week, at least I think it's exciting, you can join me at Aquila's Nest Vineyards in Newtown, Connecticut on Wednesday, September 20th from 6 to 8 p.m. for a special event with the Connecticut talk show hosts. You'll be able to mix and mingle with us. There'll be gifts and prizes and including a chance to win two tickets to NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me live taping at the Bushnell in Hartford on August. August, on October 19th at the Bushnell in Hartford on October 19th. It'll be really nice to see you all in person. Learn more at ctpublic.org slash vineyards. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.